That was some good music. All right, nice. <laughs> and we heard it through the grapevine. So, uh, yeah, we're talking about Zip It, but before we do that, uh, we've had a big week here. Uh, today we're going to uh, welcome in nine new members. They're up on the screen here. So if you are on that screen, go ahead, if your name's on the screen, obviously you're not as an individual. Go ahead and uh, stand, if you would, please, so we can see you. So we've got Dale Everett over here. Got Jackie Rody over here, Barb Cannon over there, Kristen Nabalski, and uh, uh, Frank, Fre Caleb, that's right, Caleb Nabalski over there. So thank you all, great to have you guys. Again, we say joining the team, and by that we mean people who are saying, hey, we love what's going on here, we want to be a part of this, we want to commit into this, and we want to have our church family also commit to us to help us grow and um, serve the Lord and continue to do what we're doing here or what God's doing uh, through us. And so it's exciting to have that. Appreciate that. Also, uh, Jason and Lauren. So Jason kicked things off this Tuesday. Uh, we didn't scare him off last week, so that's good. Uh, he's our new pastoral resident. Did a great job with the announcements this morning. Um, and so looking forward to that. We had a great time Thursday night. We welcomed them here and uh, sent them off with a bunch of toilet paper. So if things get bad again, they have the toilet paper. So go to their house. We got their address. And, uh, yeah, that stuff's gold. You know, we got to make sure you have that. Um, so appreciate all those who gave as well that to, to help with them uh, on that. Um, and then we, yeah, we made sure that we got Jason his door on the office there. You got that up there? Yeah, there it is. So, <clears throat> yeah. So we want to make sure it's secure as possible, you know. So we did start thinking maybe we should just made that into a, a shower and bathroom, you know. But um, anyways, <clears throat> And I also want to do is, I was thinking about this too, that I, you know, I bust on Logan quite a bit. I was giving him a hard time yesterday, and I felt kind of, kind of bad about it. Um, but I just, you know, I want to make sure you guys all know that, you know, Logan is, is doing an awesome job, obviously, this morning. And, um, yeah, just really, um, just really appreciate, you know, he's not as uh, old as he looks, and so, you know, <laughs> I just really appreciate his heart for the Lord and his heart for ministry. And he's, you know, um, a new husband and a new father. And, um, he, you know, he and Courtney are doing a great job trying to balance all this out and figuring all this out. You know, it's not easy. Those of us who have been married for a while, we realize that those early years especially could be kind of rough. And so those two are doing a great job and really appreciate that. I appreciate how young they are, both he and um, Jason because uh, we're handing in some things to do that that might cause me to be having to ice up when I'm done. Um, but anyways, so it's good to have those guys around. And then we've had the, the abortion decision that uh, came down from the Supreme Court, and that's, you know, an awesome thing. But just as you're talking with people, if you're upset about it, you know, abortions aren't gone. It's just been handed off to the states to make the decision. So the fight is still there. Um, the people who have gone uh, through abortion, they still have the same pain, the same emotional challenges, the sp spiritual challenges that come with that. And so we need to be praying for them and encouraging them. And, and certainly if they don't know the Lord, to come and, and know who Christ is and experience His healing and His forgiveness. We have people that are still going to be looking to have abortions, and we need to be praying for them and praying for the companies that are going to be paying for their travel expenses um, to go have that taken care of. Um, so, and we need to be praying for the protection of our uh, pregnancy centers and our churches, the, 
Um, you know, those who are uh, fanatically abortionist, they obviously have a, a love for death, and they have no problem bringing violence, and they've threatened it, they've shown it. They uh, hit the state capitol in Arizona and went in there. Um, and so, you know, we, there's still a lot of... Um, having this decision, I guess, that wouldn't, isn't going to bring peace to our country. You know? So we still have a responsibility as Christians to keep doing what we're doing and then keep um, pushing for life and seeing people come to Christ and having that spiritual life as well. Let me just go ahead and uh, pray, and, and then we'll look into God's Word. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity for us to be again here, uh, here today and, and to worship you as we do each week, and we do it again in, in peace. And um, but Lord, we know there's other churches that are being threatened. We know there's pregnancy centers that are being threatened, and uh, Supreme Court justices that are being threatened. And uh, Father, we pray that your hand of protection would be upon each and every one of those. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would be so protecting them that it would be obvious that your hand is at work. And, and then maybe even that would draw people to you for salvation. Lord, help us to continue to represent you well in our lives, to those in our lives, those who are hurting and um, struggling, and that we would first and foremost know the peace and the strength and the contentment and confidence that comes in our own relationship with you, and then to be able to present that to those that are hurting and that they can experience that same thing. And so, Lord, um, give us those opportunities. And as we look into your word, I pray your Holy Spirit will give us understanding. Give me clear thoughts, clear words, and may this uh, bring you honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, we're finishing up our Zip It series, and uh, technically we're supposed to be talking about gossip today, but I've decided um, that it's kind of the end, and so there's a lot of things that we can say, and so we're going to do kind of a wide um, net today um, and talk about a little bit broader than just uh, the idea of gossip um, so go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you're not there already, that's where we're going to be finishing up. Um, and it's page 1168, I think, in the, uh, the Bible there in the chair, if you're using that. Um, but I'm not, we're going to get there, but I'm going to actually start in Ephesians 1. You can feel free to turn there if you want. Because here's what I was thinking about this week. <clears throat> I was uh, raised in a pretty strict home. And so a lot of times what I would hear from my parents was, hey, here, will do this. And I would say, well, why? And he said, because we said so. And so it kind of made it difficult to obey, right? Just because I said so, you know, we're always kind of, why? You know, why should I take out the trash that's all over the kitchen? Um, what's the problem with that, you know? Uh, that never happened in my home, by the way, because you could eat off the floor in my mom's kitchen. But, um, you know, why? And so I, I think, at least for how I'm geared up, and maybe you guys are, that if, uh, if we know why we're supposed to do something, then it's a little bit easier to obey, you know. And so I want to do that this morning. I want to take some time uh, to look at the why behind God uh, wanting us to do these things. The, the way we speak is what we're specifically talking about. Um, and so I'm going to jump right into it here. Uh, Ephesians 1, Paul is 1, 2, and 3. Paul's given us this incredible explanation of this, this gift of salvation that God has given us. And it's, you know, it's just mind-blowing as you read through the first three chapters. And then 4, 5, and 6, it's okay, how does that impact your life? And that's what we're talking about specifically. But I want to go back to this because this gives us the why um, of 
doing life God's way, in this case, speaking um, words of life rather than words of death. So Paul starts out, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, a couple things here real quick. Paul doesn't use the word Christian in his writings. But he does use the phrase in Christ, which is, and if you start kind of thinking about what does it mean to be in Christ, I mean, you're in your clothes right now, right? Thank the Lord. And uh, I'm just saying, so we are in Christ. It even says we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. We are in Christ, which gives us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, which means everything that happened with Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension to heaven, that's going to happen to us. And some of that has already happened. We've died with Christ to our old way of doing life, to the sin that controls us. And we've, now we're living, we're living for, for God, just like Jesus lives for God. And then when we die here on earth, we get to go to heaven, which is awesome. You know, but everything that's gone on is going to happen with us. So, so we have everything Jesus has, we now have, just as he chose us in him, in Jesus. So God chose to save us in Christ, through Christ. What Christ did is where our salvation lies. Before the foundation of the world, before he ever created the earth. Why did God choose for us for salvation? That, he would be, that we would be holy and blameless. That we would be set apart for God's purposes, no longer for our purposes. That's why we say we don't live life our way anymore. We live life God's way because we are to become holy. We become set apart for God's purposes, and that we be blameless. That means morally right. It doesn't mean that we are perfect, but that we have the ability now to do what's right, to live life the way God wants us to live. All right. In love, he predestined or predetermined to choose us to adoption as sons and daughters. So we're children of God through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. Why did he do that? Again, why did he save us, adopt us? To the praise of the glory of his grace. It's the first time he's going to use this phrase. Which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Talking about Jesus Christ. Go ahead and go next. So in him, Jesus, we have redemption. Or we're freed from sin's consequences. We don't have to go to hell. We get to go to heaven. But also it's control over us. We still sin. But God gives us the ability through the Holy Spirit to not follow through on that. If we would turn to him and do what we need to do. We talked about it last week. We'll talk a little bit more about it this week. So we have redemption through his blood. How? Through the forgiveness of our sins. Our trespasses, our sins. That's, that's how this happens. God forgives us of our sins. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Now this according to, Paul loves using this phrase. Because it's not out of God but it's according to something about God. His grace, his kindness, his mercy. So he doesn't give you a little bit of grace. He gives you all of it. It's according to. What's, what's the, um, how big is his grace? Well, it's infinitely big. How much does it cover? Infinite amount of sin it covers. And so he gives you, no matter how much sin you think you have or how bad you think you are, God says, my grace, it's according to me, and I'm infinite. <laughs> you're forgiven. Past, present, and future. Blow your mind. I get it, but that's true. God says, I forgive you of your sins. I'm not going to hold it against you as we put our faith in Christ. So in him, wait, I just read that. In, in all wisdom and insight, I said, I'm quick. Don't try to get anything past me, people. 
In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery, which is a secret that's revealed, talking about his, the salvation he provides, the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed, this is a long phrase, so hang in there with me, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to the administration suitable to the fullness of the times. Well, what is that? What's well, God's plan? So that is a summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and, and things on earth. So basically what he said there was a really long phrase, is that God's plan to save mankind and bring all of history to a close in Jesus Christ, that was God's plan. That's that administration and real big words that he uses there. In him, we, uh, also we have obtained an inheritance, talking about heaven, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. So what's God's purpose and will? Here it is. To the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. So there's a second time out of three that he uses this phrase. And next, in him, Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, what's that? Well, it's the gospel of your salvation. Having also believed, so it's not just hearing it, like I'm, I'm sharing the gospel with you right now. So it's not just hearing that. It's you going, oh, I need that. It's you taking a step of faith, and I've already done it in my life, and many of you have already done it in your life, where you, you entrust yourself into God's hands, saying, I believe what God says salvation is. So the gospel of your salvation, I would also believed you were sealed, that means to be identified as one adopted by God, in Him, in Jesus, with the Holy Spirit of promise. So God the Father, God the Son, now God the Holy Spirit, who is given as a pledge. It's a lifetime guarantee. We love lifetime guarantees, right? I buy auto parts. I'm always looking for the ones with lifetime guarantee. Because if it fails, I want another one, right? Well, we have a lifetime guarantee of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Why? Third time, which in biblical terms he's emphasizing is to the praise of his glory. So, no matter what you have maybe heard salvation is, no matter who it is who's told you about what salvation is, because we have a lot of different people saying a lot of different things about what God says salvation is, the Bible, which is from God, is telling us that salvation is God forgiving our sins, your sins and my sins. It's a personal situation here, all right? So God forgiving you of your sins or me of my sins through our trusting what he says, and that is that Jesus took our eternal death on the cross, took God's wrath for you and me on the cross when he died there. Because that's what salvation is. That's how you gain a relationship with God. It's not us doing a bunch of stuff, whether it's religious stuff, religious traditions, or just being a nice person. That's not what it is. It's never described that way in the Bible. The numerous times that it's described, it's never described that way in the Bible. It's always described as God doing a work in us that we know he has to because Paul tells us in the next chapter we're spiritually dead. And so we can't save ourselves. We're dead, spiritually speaking. So God has to do something. And so then once we come to him and say, God, please forgive me my sins, and I'm trusting that Jesus took my eternal consequences for my sin on himself, God then forgives our sin, he frees us from our sin. He puts His Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, into our lives. And then God the Holy Spirit does His work in us and that is confirming that we're a follower of Christ now, that we are in Christ, 
As we get into God's Word, He gives us understanding of God's Word. As you sit here and listen to me teach God's Word, God's giving you understanding from His Word. Uh, I'm just here trying to voice it accurately. And so he does, and then when we need to do life his way, we ask him to give us the, the power and the strength and the desire to do that, which we talked about last week. We'll talk a little bit about this week. So he adopts us into his family. We become children. And as children, we look like our parents. So as new children of God, we need to becoming more and more like God in the sense of looking like him. So God saved us for his glory. Now, why does he say he saved us? Um, do we got that up on there? Yeah. So, he, fe- so he, he, he saved us to be holy and blameless. So he saves us for his glory. Verse 4, that we are saved um, to be holy and blameless, to be set apart for his purposes, uh, to be used wherever we are, we're at, wherever we live, wherever we work, all that, for his purposes, for him to do what he wants to do in and through us. It's not for us anymore. It's for what he wants to do. And that we would be blameless. Again, morally right, though we, we know we sin, but we're constantly becoming more and more like Christ. So that's the direction we should be going in. He said we're saved to praise God's grace. And so we're saved in order for us to thank God for our salvation, His grace, this gift of salvation that we don't deserve, we didn't earn, that He gave because He loves us. And so we're saved to praise Him for His glory. 11 and 14 talks about that, that we that we just praise Him and, and make Him known. And that's really kind of the summary here. God saves us so that we will know Him, and that know is kind of a personal uh, relationship, and then we, that we would make Him known. That through our lives, through how we speak, which is what we're talking about in this series, and then through our lives, we'll make Him known. Other people will see who He is by how we live our lives. And so again, what we say, what we do, So then Paul goes on in Ephesians 4, verse 1, and he says this, Therefore, because of what I just got done saying, and even the stuff in chapter 2 and 3, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk or live in a manner worthy of the calling, which is an invitation to experience a special responsibility or privilege, with which you have been called, and that's the call of salvation. So in other words, without your salvation, we talked about this out of Philippians, with all humility and and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. And that, that word means perseverance. Today in this world, we hear about tolerance. And tolerance in this world's definition is, hey, do whatever you want. Nobody can tell you you're wrong, except for you Christians, you're wrong. But everybody else can do whatever they want to do. That's not biblical tolerance. Biblical tolerance is persevering with people. It is when we're hurt by other people, especially if we're hurt by other Christians because we hold everybody else to a higher standard, Christians to a higher standard. So when a Christian hurts us, we need to persevere. We need to work through the steps of forgiveness and reconciliation and not continue to be angry. That's, that's what that's talking about there. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. And so it's not unity for unity's sake. It's uni- unity of the Spirit. Well, what's the Spirit doing? What's He doing in our lives? Well, He's convicting people of sin and drawing them to Christ for salvation. And once we're saved, He's also continuing to convict us of sin, that we need to get that straightened out. We're reading the Bible, and He's teaching us the Bible. We're hearing the Bible taught, and He's teaching us the Bible. And then He empowers us to do life God's way. That's what we as a church family need to be unified around. We don't need to be unified around the color of the carpeting. 
We don't need to be unified around the type of music that we do. We don't have to be, whatever it is that other churches need to be unified around, that's not what we're going to be unified around. We're going to be unified around seeing people come to Christ, helping them grow in their faith, knowing that we'll grow in our faith as well. And so God's called us, in that sense, to team up with him. So here's another why for, in this case, why we're going to be speaking the way he wants us to speak. And he says this, Clasis is invitation to experience a special responsibility or privilege. So we've already been called, the kaleo, we've been called into a personal relationship or into fellowship with God through faith in Christ. And then once we're that, once we're in Christ, we're a child of God, now we're invited by him to join in on this special privilege, this special responsibility. So salvation brings special responsibility or special privilege. So through our fellowship with God, our whole life has changed. Our whole purpose for living has changed. God has now called us to represent him to a world that needs him, to experience in their lives what we've already experienced in our lives, his forgiveness, his indwelling Holy Spirit who empowers us and keeps us close to God, who gives us the strength, everything that we need. And then through that, his characteristics come out of us. The Holy Spirit flows out of us in that sense where we are humble and we are gentle and we are patient. We are persevering. Not out of our strength, but out of the Holy Spirit who's doing his work in us. And we're to diligently protect that unity. That's what we need to be fighting for as Christians. We are in Christ, united together by the Holy Spirit. So here's the incredible... uh, truth of this, and I'm not going to get any deeper into this than just to say this and let it kind of wash over us, and then you guys got to wrestle with it. What that means is that you and I who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, though we've come from every sort of different background, we've had every sort of different experience, most of you guys have no Norwegian background in you. Well, I do. I have a huge Norwegian background in me. That doesn't, that's not what unifies us. What unifies us is God. God's Spirit unifies us in Christ. So that means we have a deeper, uh, stronger, and infinitely strong uh, binding together, if you want to put it that way, than you and I have with our blood relatives who don't know Christ. Think about that. When we always say, hey man, blood's everything. Family's everything. Yeah, I mean it is. We should be sharing Christ with those people because spiritual connection, God's spirit uniting us together, that's even stronger than blood. We're going to be, for good or bad, you guys get to spend eternity with me. You who have placed your faith in Christ, you get me for eternity. You know, and I get you for eternity. And if, Lord willing, those in our family who don't know Christ will place their faith in Christ so we can be with them for eternity. But if not, that ends. This side of heaven, that ends. So there's a, I mean, we are tight. It might be new to us. We may have never heard that before. We may not even like it. Because you tell me, Jesus even said, who's my mother and brother and sisters? And right in front of them, he says, these are my mother and brothers and sisters. In other words, those who are identified with him, spiritually speaking, 
Yes. Wow. Powerful stuff. All right. So that brings us back to the whole zip it thing and closing this thing out. So God, and then God called us to team up with him, and then God commands us to imitate him. So now this is, this is mind-blowing stuff. So he goes on. Now we're, so now we're back to chapter 4. We're in verse uh, 29. We're going to go into 5-2. It says this, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, which I'll explain, according to the need of the moment. Why? So that it will give grace, some undeserved encouragement or, or gift, to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and all wrath and all anger and all clamor and all slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. You want to smell good to God? You know, think about it. I know the guys, some of the guys were with some junior hires last week, and uh, I'm sure that there's some unusual smells going on there if you ever worked with junior hires. But anyways, moving forward. So just kind of a quick review here. From last week, we talked about this idea of, of stop the old, read the word, right, and do the new. Okay, so we, are, we made a decision at salvation that we're not going to stop the old. We're not going to live like we used to live. We're going to read the Word because Paul was saying that we need to be renewed by the Spirit, and that's a passive thing that happens to us. In other words, God's Spirit, as we're in God's Word, changes the way we think, changes our perspective. We start looking at things differently now. We start looking at things the way God wants us to, to look at them. And then because of salvation, we make the decision to do life that way. We may not quite understand it all. That's why there's a step of faith. We're not strong enough to do it. That's why God's Spirit gives us the strength to do it. And so we need to stop the lying and do, and do truth. That was last week. Well, this week we want to stop speaking destructive words. He uses the word unwholesome. Unwholesome means to have, be rotten or decayed. And so these are words that, that injure. These are the words that we punch back with. These are the words that we shut someone down with. These are the words that we use to intimidate or to hurt others as they've hurt us. It's name-calling, it's criticism, it's a manipulation, it's, it's threats, it's labeling people, it's sarcasm, it's blame, it's, it's exaggeration. If whatever it is, I mean, if you're wondering, I'm not really sure what these are. Whatever someone might say to you to hurt you, then that's a word that you, or words you shouldn't be using to hurt somebody else. It's another way of doing it. Do unto others as you want them to do to you. The golden rule. And so we need to stop speaking these destructive words. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed. It means to not let it ever pass your lips. Remember last week we were talking about God says, hey, be angry, but don't sin. Because he knows that as humans, we're going to think something before we ever do something. And so someone does something to us, and right away our first initial thought is to respond like we've always responded. It's because we've trained ourselves. And so he gets that. He says, be angry, but then stop there. Don't continue on. Stop, take a deep breath, spend some time praying, get into God's Word, use some words that, God's Word that you've memorized, you know, just have it in your head, and then respond without sinning. All right? And so he said, you, know, you might have a word come into your head or a phrase to come into your head, but 
Don't do it. Don't let it proceed out of your lips. Keep it up here. Work it up here with God. And then whatever proceeds out needs to be what's encouraging. And so this don't let it proceed, again, it's that present imperative. All these commands are present imperative. Day in, day out, no matter what's going on, no matter what you're thinking, no matter what you're feeling, no matter who the person is, no matter what the person has said, don't let a destructive word come out of your mind. Zip it. Keep it in your head. But sadly, this happens, and it happens in the closest relationships that we have. Spouses, husbands, wives. What are the words that we're using towards our spouse? Are we bringing decay into our relationships? Are we letting rottenness, you know, bad breath, spiritually speaking? We need to throw mint in there. I grabbed one right before message, just in case, you know, for you guys that are up close. <clears throat> Man, we shouldn't be threatening our spouses. We shouldn't be threatening divorce, threatening I'm leaving, I'm out of here. This is the way you want to be. Well, then you leave. Man, none of that should be going on in our marriages, Christians. That's not, God's not about division. God's about what? Unity of the Spirit. What does the Spirit want? Spirit wants you two becoming more and more like Christ and growing closer and closer to each other. And so we, we do that present actively, no matter what our spouse is doing. In fact, in spite of what our spouse is doing, this is how we respond. Children, parents, children to children. Man, what are we saying? Are we tearing each other down to each other or are we tearing people down to other people? I'll tell you, if there's conversations going on in our lobby where the husband is bashing the wife or the wife's bashing the husband and you're in my earshot or Kim's earshot, we're coming at you. Fast and furious, boy. We're, we'll be right there. Test me. You know, Because, no, man, we shouldn't be doing that. We can't do that. What should we be doing? We, we need to be speaking words of encouragement. He says edification. That's oikos and dome. In, in the Greek it means house builder. And so we need to be building the house. We need to be building people up. Spiritual strengthening. How do, how do we do this? Well, it's according to the need of the moment. What is needed right here? Whatever conversation I'm in, I need to be ready, and God's going to help me do that through His Word and Holy Spirit to give the word that's needed at that moment. Is there a conflict? Then I need to be bringing words of peace to that. Is there pain? I need to be bringing words of comfort to that. You know, whatever the need of the moment is, that's the word that we need to give to others. And we give it as grace. Charis, it means gift. It's undeserved. So in other words, we give it to the person, especially when we think they don't deserve it. Just like Jesus died on the cross, especially when we didn't deserve it. Because the Bible says before Christ, before we came to Christ, we were enemies of God. God saw us as enemies. He said, man, you're sinners, you're enemies. He died anyways. He gave that gift anyways. 
And so it's through our words that then we become a conduit of God's grace to others. He says, stop grieving the Holy Spirit. When we use destructive words, the Holy Spirit who's in us, and if it's a Christian, because Paul's really talking about Christians practicing this in the church before they go out and do it in the world. When we're together as Christians, and we say something to another person who's a believer, especially you know a spouse or kids or even just in our church, whatever, we're starting to cause division rather than unity. And so he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve means to, to cause mental or emotional distress, to bring sadness. It's a present imperative again. Make this as a lifestyle, day in, day out, no matter what the circumstance, no matter who the person is and how irritating and frustrating they are, no matter what they've said to you, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't bring division into that situation. Talked about last week, the devil having an opportunity Ephesians 4.3 says, diligently preserve the unity. That's what we need to be doing in our response to others. We get this, right? See, this is the cool thing. This proves that God, the Holy Spirit, is a person and not a thing, not a power, not a force. You can't grieve a force. You can't grieve an outlet that has electric coming through it. That's energy. You can't do that. It's an inanimate object. You can only grieve somebody who is a person and somebody who loves you. If someone doesn't love you, you're not, they're not going to be grieved by you or me. And so God, the Holy Spirit, He's a person and He loves us. And He wants to keep us unified together. Why? Because He's the one who has sealed us. He's our identification mark, the birthmark, you want to call it that. He, he's the one who's keeping us secure for all of eternity. And so we need to stop the old attitudes. It says to put away. This means to take away, remove by force, to even kill. We're supposed to kill our old self in that sense. To be so sure we don't want to have these attitudes that we're going to talk about here that spark or bring out this vomit of destructive words. And he said, it also has this idea of carrying it far away. It's an, er- an aorist imperative. In other words, we can't do this in and of ourselves. God's Holy Spirit needs to be the one who does it. An aorist tense is something that's done to us. In this case, it's God. It's a passive voice. I'm sorry, aorist, passive, aorist means it happened at salvation. It has impact for today. Passive is God's Spirit does that. I got those twisted for a second there. <laughs> You'd think after this past series I'd get that. Right, but he says, don't be bitter. Get, put away bitterness. That's that grudge. See, bitter people keep score. We fail to truly forgive. We may voice the words, but in our heart, we truly haven't forgiven somebody. We haven't kept it and not bringing it back up. He says, the attitude of wrath means to have displeasure. Or one guy wrote down, a mental excitement which flows from bitterness. So these this attitude kind of is building. It's, it's like a volcano that wants to erupt. And so we, we have this bitterness that's kind of in there and seething around, and that becomes wrath, and it, it flows out. It's, it has this quick response. It's an outburst. And then there's this anger, which also is kind of this uh, seething. It always had this idea of seething and smoldering and sitting there under the surface, kind of like a volcano. 
And it's kind of the emotional side of it. It's what's eating us up inside. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's clamor. He says, put it away. Clamor is the arguing, right? It's trying to one-up each other. It's yelling louder than the other, using worse words than the other. It's getting one-up. I shared this at the 9 o'clock, so I have to share it now, but I was having a conversation with Stan and Clark yesterday, and as you guys know, Stan's passionate about things, and <clears throat> I have a tendency to, I'll meet somebody at whatever their passion level is, and so Stan's, you know, he's getting all, it was good, it was a good conversation, we weren't arguing. There was not clamoring happening, but we were both, and then and he'd say something, and inside I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, this is, I, need to, I need to tell him this, before. And, so, and then of course Clark, who does uh, customer service, you know, he's like, <laughs> and then we get done, we walk out, Clark hasn't said a word, you know, he's just, it was pretty funny. Again, that was not even an argument. We were just like passionately talking about something. Clark's just like, ah, mm-hmm. ah. anyways, moving on. So yeah, so we need to we need to keep it from getting there. You know, the, the clamor, the, and then there's slander. What that kind of happens? That what's, that's what happens after the argument, right? So we're all done. We might have felt like we won or lost. Doesn't matter because now what are we doing? We got on the phone, texting, Facebook see somebody at church, see somebody at the store, and now we're slandering. We're telling them about what happened. Of course, we're always looking the best in that argument. Put it away. When we slander other people, we're ultimately slandering God because God created us in His image. And those of us who are Christians, God saved us, and we have the same Spirit uniting us together. And He says, put away malice, Malice is just what happens in our heart as we, and as we interact with people and then we, we start interpreting what they're saying to being kind of like it's an attack on us. So we have this malice. And you can tell it. I mean, that, that's like a volcano, isn't it? Just kind of, when all of a sudden, comes shooting up. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, speaking to the religious leaders, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of, the, out of his good treasure, uh, speaking of the heart, what is good, and evil brings evil man brings out of his evil treasure, or his heart, what is evil. And so we need to make sure that as Christians, we are spending time with God and his word, and God's spirit is filling us with the good. And then as we do that, he empowers us and we do the new. And, and just quickly here, flying through this, it says be, all right? So be these things. Being means to bring into existence what isn't there right now. And so in the middle of a conflict, and when you're talking with somebody who's hurting, whatever it is, we need to be. We need to be kind. Again, this is pre- present imperative, and this is a middle voice, meaning that we initiate, we do it. Not, we don't wait for them to do it, we do it, and then we, we get to enjoy the results of it, that privilege that we have, of the calling that we have. And so we bring into the situation kindness. Be kind. Where kindness isn't currently happening, we bring kind in. Where compassion needs to be happening because it's not happening, we bring in tenderheartedness. Where forgiveness needs to happen because it's not there, we forgive the other person just like God forgave us. 
Forgiveness isn't just saying, I forgive you. Forgiveness is saying, I'm not going to use that against them. And so if there's an issue between somebody, and I said, I forgive you, but there's still an issue between you, you need to get that figured out. You need to, you need to go, I forgive you, and now you need to do the process of restoring the relationship. Whatever that relationship, it might not even be a real close relationship. We still re, you still work to restore at least to not real close relationship rather than you know, see him at church and go this way. Or that's even worse. I've had it happen to me in the past in Walmart. You know, walking down to Walmart and I look ahead and there's somebody who's not happy with me. And they're like, they see me and they're like, <laughs> go, to, go down and you're looking for him. The rest of the time I'm in Walmart going, come on, I got to find him. <laughs> so much fun. Anyway, no, don't. <clears throat> don't do that. And then the cool thing is, he says, in all of that, therefore, imitate God. That, that word in the Greek means mimic. That's where we get our word mimic. I love to imitate people. You can't do it anymore because everybody gets offended, so I don't do it a whole lot. But I love imitating people. No one's been able to imitate me yet. Well, Hagen can't, but that's just because he sounds like me, so it doesn't even... He just... I don't let him get near my phone because the lady in my phone hears his voice and does whatever he tells, says her to do. <clears throat> you know about talking about the lady in the phone, right? Okay, so I want to make sure. I don't want to make sure you guys are thinking, Kim's in your phone? How do you do that? <laughs> Anyways, we can imitate God. We can mimic Him. We can do what God does if we let Him. If we spend the time with Him in His Word, if we get together with our church family and hear God's Word preach and serve together and be together because these are the things that God has called us to do. Ephesians 4 talks about all this. If we do that stuff, then we grow and, and we develop and we change the way we think and we change the way we respond. And Again, this is not something that happens, boom, the day you accept Christ. This is a lifelong process. But we've got to keep working the process. And then we can imitate God, which is awesome. Then people see that and they're like, wow, how do you operate like that? How do you respond to your wife like that? How do you respond to your husband? You know, all that. And you can tell them about who God is and what God's done for them and how they can have that relationship. I'm going to go ahead and just close with our takeaways this morning. I feel bad for the band. I just started getting too long and the band never gets back up. But it just, it'll bring you back for next week. So, you know. So here's our takeaway. Simply this. I just encourage you to spend time with God this week and just ask the question, what fills my heart? What is it that I'm constantly thinking about? Is it the things that bring up the bitterness and the wrath and the anger and the clamor, not to mention the fear, you know, all that other stuff too? Or is my mind beginning to be filled with humility and gentleness and compassion because God's Spirit is at work because I'm spending the time with Him in God's Word. I'm meditating and thinking about it throughout the day. I'm thinking through the circumstances, experiences that I find each day that I know I'm going to come into and I'm going to, okay, I need to change how I respond to this person and that person because God's going to give me the strength to do it. What fills your heart? Let's go ahead and stand.
And we'll close in prayer.